Good morning. Happy BC Day weekend. Happy Pride. I'm so excited. I just had a Sophie Grace sighting. <laughs> There's just not words. Um, okay, so the scripture reading today is Romans 3, 21 to 26, and Romans 6, 20 to 23. And I've just lost my place. Hang on, bear with me. Okay, here we go. Hear the word of the Lord. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God. morning. That's for later. Uh, there was a Sophie sighting. Welcome, Alan. And where's the rest of the family? What's that? Having lunch. Oh, wonderful. Okay, excellent. <laughs> yes. Times have changed for you. We've been taking up this series called Junk Drawer, um, and uh, I've got a couple of Sundays away after this week. Ken Bell, who's been away for five weeks in Europe, is going to be preaching next week, and uh, glad that he is. I'm going to participate in heading out to Joy Fellowship, um, so any of you that are interested in doing that, I've set this up with a, a man who works at Joy Fellowship named John Gurnett. Some of you would know John Gurnett. Many of you know Jay Gurnett, who's been here, and Vision Ministries has been helping us in terms of charting some of the future. Uh, John and Jay are are brothers, and John works at Joy Fellowship. And so we're going to have a 
Tasting Room Theology, um, I think in September, on faith and disability. And so uh, this is part of our desire to ask the questions, how should we be more effectively ministering in the community as, as a Christian church? And uh, certainly our connection with people who have, uh, I guess you'd say, higher needs than, than many of us is one of the ways that we ought to be ministering. And so we're seeking to learn from Joy Fellowship. The word apocalypse brings visions of cataclysm, environmental or military destruction, floods and asteroids, and this kind of thing. And one of the main reasons it brings these images is uh, popular culture, movies or books you may have read. The word apocalypse, of course, doesn't, doesn't mean those things. It means simply unveiling, like when something is, is uh, brought to light, when a revelation comes about. But we've tended to think of it as something destructive, cataclysmic, some kind of invasion or pandemic. I want you to think about that because we're talking this week about salvation. Last week and this week, sin and salvation. And last week, kind of offering a corrective for some of our misunderstandings in terms of the biblical concept of sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, For people like myself and many of you here, if you were a Christian when you were younger, if you came to faith in your teens or preteens or even another point in your life, I think sometimes it's called the Romans Road or something. You memorize a number of verses in Romans. Uh, And certainly in in, uh, my younger years, these were a couple of verses that I had memorized. In terms of the concept of sin, we mentioned that the idea that sin is primarily ethical uh, is not really helpful in terms of building uh, biblical understanding. Uh, Ethics matter, of course, but sin, as the Bible teaches about it, is not primarily about right and wrong. That's the wrong frame. Rather, sin is about God and humanity. Before it's an ethical concept, it's a theological concept. So sin is that thing which breaks the community between people and between God and people. So God creates the world and the universe, and on this, these days, these periods of time, God creates, he breathes into being, and he says, or it, Scripture says, and he saw that it was, and you could fill it in like you did last week, he saw that it was good. But we mentioned that the actual word in the original language there is good for In other words, he creates something so that it might be a blessing to something else. Someone so that they might be a blessing to someone else. Sin is that which breaks this communion between God and people and between people and people. What's interesting to me as we think about sin is when I was growing up, good Baptist church and wonderful people who helped me in my early days of faith, Uh, I think inadvertently, maybe on purpose, gave me an idea of sin where the separation was emphasized. So as a young person, I picked up that my job was to battle the sin in my life and that by extension, the people who weren't doing that were not quite as good as me. And so that teaching actually made me feel more separate from the rest of the world, exacerbating this idea that we are somehow apart when what God is working redemption, that we would be together. 
So my religious understanding could at times and often did contribute to the very problem that I started with. So today, salvation. Salvation denotes apocalypse. Because as soon as I say, are you saved? Of course, the question would become, from what? Are you saved? So the idea is that there would be some kind of judgment. And the common thinking is that this is what the sinners will face, right? The sinners face condemnation, and those who are freed from this uh, escape that judgment. They're somehow better. They're somehow excused. Salvation instead, biblically, more properly biblically, though we can pick up some of the ideas I just mentioned from Scripture, but when you look at the whole picture of what salvation is in the Bible, salvation is life and redemption and communion between people. Between people and people and between people and God. Salvation is the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is three and God is one and you'll never understand it and that's okay. But understanding that God is three speaks to you this reality about salvation. Salvation is relationship. In God's grace to the world and to all creation, he extends this relationship to humanity and invites us in to this eternal, abundant life. That's salvation. You see how when I speak of it that way, that is something so much more positive to say, you better darn well be saved from this destruction. Thank you, Lawrence. One of the most troubling images to me, and actually it's a repeated image, um, I'm not even going to put it on the screen because it's, it's too, uh, too upsetting, but I mention it there. It goes back to medieval thinking, which isn't all bad, and it even goes back further than that to Augustine. Uh, and much or most of Augustine is good theologically, Augustine, some would say. Uh, but this image is troubling. The image is, and some of you can think of art you may have seen depicting this kind of thing. The image is a picture of heaven and hell, kind of a cosmic painting. But it's that old school, old kind of feel where you go into an art gallery in Europe or something and you might see something like this and if you see it, I hope, you tend to look at it and go, oh, what is that? That is terribly disturbing. It is art that connects with the concept, and this has been spoken in Christian history, that defines what heaven and hell is. I'm not saying it's correct. I'm saying this is what some ideas have been. And these ideas would say that the saved living in heaven eternal life, look down with joy on the torment of the damned. So they can see into hell and they can see people being eternally tortured. This is not really a biblical picture at all. And I find it terribly disturbing and upsetting. But I'm giving it to you because I want to correct it. So hold that image, and I'll give you another one from Ezekiel 37, the image of the dry bones. This is one of our best images in all of Scripture, that Ezekiel, by God's presence, by this theophany, this presence of God, is taken to this valley, and it's death valley, literally. It's just 
dry and lifeless, and there are bones there, dry bones. You can get a song in your head now. And the theophany, the presence of God, asks Ezekiel the prophet, can these bones live? It's one of the best questions we have because you felt it at times in your life and the Christian church has felt it at times in history. The theologian Robert Jensen asks this question when he speaks to the church, particularly in the North American context, and he, what he does, this theologian, is he says, in our world today, where most people or many people seem to have deemed that Christian faith is unimportant in their lives, he asks the question, can these bones live? Does the church have anything left to say in the world? So hold these two images, the, image, the terrible and terrifying image of heaven and hell as sometimes depicted, and the question, can these bones live? I was watching, I know Kim watched this as well a bit, well, more than a bit, let's be honest, Um, the Tour de France over the last few weeks. It ended last Sunday. The Tour de France is, you know, like a kajillion kilometer bike race. It takes three weeks. They ride like 200 kilometers every day for three weeks. A couple days break in there. And uh, at the end, they end in Paris, and it's all very exciting. But if you watch the coverage on sports channels, it's effectively like a three-week travel brochure for France. Because bike racing is extremely boring. Uh, And so what this is, effectively, is helicopters taking aerial shots of old churches. And they say, look, it's the, it's, you know, this church, or I was going to speak French, but I won't. Um, Occasionally a chateau that's not quite a church. But as they go through the landscape, you realize that every village, and even the cities... Every village is built around a church, often by this time abandoned, and a few tourists are going in and out. You could think of it as the tour de used to be. Dead, dry bones. I'm not arguing for going back, but I'll share Jensen's question, is there any hope of life? If there is hope of life, here's the point I want you to consider this morning, okay? And this has more to do with where we're going to be in two years, three years, than even today. If there is any hope of life that these bones could live, we've got to grow up in our concept of salvation. Sin is not primarily ethical. Sin is not primarily about who is acceptable and who is not, though we've sometimes mistakenly taught it that way in the church. Sin is theological, about God and humanity, how we so often break this good form. We were created for something, and out of our own self-centeredness, we break that. Salvation is not primarily, we've said this before here, salvation from something, though we are saved from our sin ourselves. Salvation primarily and more properly understood is salvation to something. Once the world stops being afraid of those hell-ridden images and walks away from the church and says, I didn't get smote, then if we don't realize that our message has to grow and develop and mature in terms of how we speak biblically, 
fear is not going to bring them back. So you have some religious institutions in Christian faith that what they do is they try to redouble their efforts. They get more upset at the world. They look at those empty churches through the European uh, through, through Europe and think, what's wrong with the world that people aren't going to church anymore? When what we should be asking ourselves is, how did we fail consistently to connect with the world? What kind of message were they so willing to reject once they were no longer in fear? Salvation is to what more than from what? And I would say, really, salvation is to whom? into fullness of life in relationship with God and with one another. Christian faith declares you can know fullness of life in relationship with one another and with God. Another thing that is associated with salvation is freedom, right? We sing about it. I've been set free. We sang, that's, I love that last song we did. It's one of my favorites. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. Images of freedom. You were imprisoned, and now you've been set free. You were weighed down, you were stuck, you were caught, and now you have experienced freedom. We extend this at times to think that what freedom means is that nobody gets to tell us what to do. This is, in a way, the worldly concept of freedom. Right? Nobody gets to tell me what to do. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. But biblically, freedom is different than that and better. Biblically, freedom means, and Tierney read it in this, that you were slaves to sin, but now you're slaves to God. It's a, it's a play on words. You were slaves to sin, but now you're free in God. But he's going to use the word slave. Freedom, biblically, is freedom into relationship. Hans Earl van Balthasar, Catholic theologian, years ago, said this. I want you to think about this for a minute. Because this is not often the way you consider this. Freedom, and he's speaking biblically here, freedom occurs in the meeting of persons. Now listen to this. Actually, you could think of this with some of us who might go and visit Joy Fellowship next week. When I meet someone different than me, I am challenged. Challenged that I might possibly become someone different than who I already am. In other words, I am free to live and to grow. Improper ideas of freedom and salvation have encouraged us to remain stuck as if the problem was the rest of the world and we don't need to be open to them. We're not saved to be spared from some judgment primarily, considering that others are damned in that type of thinking. We're saved to be in relationship with one another and with God. When I was younger, I began to understand that Jesus has done everything for me. And people would say to me, and I would read Scripture as I started to read Scripture every day, and I would realize Jesus Christ has done everything for me. And then in my argumentative mind, somebody would say, he's done as much as he possibly could. He's gone to the cross and he's given his life. That's the most anybody can do for anybody else is they can die for them. 
And in my 14-year-old brain, I went, no, it's not the most. The most is that they would endure the separation from God, hell. And I thought, wouldn't it be that Jesus would actually give himself over if you think that this is what hell is? Of course, Jesus did exactly that, giving his life. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I began to realize as I grew as a Christian, and I'll be honest about this, I just I want you to hear this. It's not an answer as much as a question, and I don't know if you share the same question, and I don't know if this will upset you, but I, it's strong in my mind and heart, and so I'm going to say it. I began to realize that I do not feel worth, I don't feel it's something worth celebrating if I am saved and most are damned. That's not good. That exacerbates the separation, and in my mind, it doesn't reflect the love of the God that I know in Jesus Christ. So what am I going to do? Well, we can have our image of salvation grow up. This salvation, hear me, I am not making a statement of who is in and who is out. I'm done with those statements, by the way. But this salvation, biblically understood, hear this, because this is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This salvation is for the world. And if my message to the world is mostly something that turns up their nose, that is a stink, right? You know those biblical images. We are the aroma of Christ. I'm in a bike club. Every day you get a cycling, every Sunday you're going to get a cycling story. Sorry. I've joined a bike club this year to learn how to ride super close to somebody else's wheel because that's really important in cycling Um, because you can go faster. That's it. And uh, this bike club meets, they meet every Sunday morning and because I'm a believer, I don't go on Sundays. Anyway, but we also meet on Wednesday nights. So every Wednesday night we go for a bike ride and it's terribly hard. You do something like ride up Seymour and then around and And because people who join bike clubs are crazily competitive, you never seem to get a rest. This week we were riding up Seymour, not the whole way. And I was feeling good. You don't always feel good. So I was... This is now bragging. Anyway, I'm riding on Seymour and somebody yells as I keep going, Oh no! I'm getting passed by a minister! His next line was, and he has superhero calves. Anyway, that was. So I'm now becoming known as a minister, and then something else happened where the, where the article changes. The minister. And so then we go out for beer after. So we ride up the mountain, and then we eat lots of food and have some beer. And there was about 20 of us sitting on the deck of, this restaurant nearby where we end. And 
I don't know how it happened. It wasn't me, but people started talking about how this person is a minister. Tried to change the topic really quick. And then this one guy says, and he's a nice guy, but he looks across, he was sitting across the table from me, he goes, you're a minister? And I'm like, yes. And he said, I think, I can't know if I'll get all the relations right, but he said, my sister married a minister. Like it was like an accusation at me or something. My sister married a minister. A Baptist minister. Sorry to you, Baptists. I'm not saying all are like this. You know, he pretty much just liked to tell people what they were doing wrong. Now, I don't know if that's a fair assessment of this man and this minister. But somehow the idea had been picked up that Christians believe we are right and everybody else is wrong and we're willing to tell them. Guess what's going to happen if that's how we hold out salvation? Only the people who are afraid are going to have any interest. There are many religious institutions, Christian churches, that are doubling down on this idea, as I said, getting more upset at the world, but I don't think there's any future in it. It can build a crowd for a while. To be a Christian witness means expressly not to be a judge. Christians ought to be people in a culture who are the least judgmental. How did it get to be that people think we're the most? Our Lord told us the opposite. I know what it is in you, because I love many of you that I've felt this from at times. It's that you think if you're not judgmental, that somehow it's a compromise of faith. That standards will be relaxed. Our Lord told us, do not judge. And in that, we should experience freedom. Freedom to what? Freedom to love that person in front of us, maybe even as God loves them. Salvation. Philippians 1.27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And the gospel, first two things, forgiveness and setting aside judgmentalism. Famous church mission writer. He was a, a man who went and worked in India for many years and then came back and the world had changed. The Western world had changed. And so he wrote a lot about Christian mission in Western cultures. Leslie Newbigin is his name. And he said... Too often the church has become the receptacle for saved souls. But he reminds us that God's healing purposes are for all creation. Salvation is more than you. Your salvation is for the good of the world, not just your good. God is about the healing of a broken creation. And you should never understand your salvation as only personal. If your salvation is not good for that other person who does not yet know the love of Jesus Christ, then it's not much good. In the Old Testament, there's no missionary impulse among the people. There's no sense in the Old Testament of go and convert these people. You say, well, what about Jonah? No, Jonah was supposed to go and pronounce doom. And remember what Jonah's complaint was? 
Jonah's complaint was, I didn't want to go because I know that you're merciful. In other words, God himself had this missionary character because he always has. God has been forever about loving the world. We, Jonah and others, have been the ones who have tried to hold this salvation to ourselves. In the Old Testament, Abraham, you know Abraham who gets these promises? God says, I'll bless you and I'll give you this family, which is what we all really care about. We don't really think about like the next level and the next level. But God says, not only will I bless you, but from you I'll make a nation and from that I'll, make, I'll bless all peoples of the universe. Remember that? There is never an incident in Abraham's life where God is speaking to Abraham of promise where he doesn't speak of the nations. Isn't that curious to you? In other words, it's never only, put your name there, you. Your salvation, Abraham, is for the nations. We encounter God's blessing so that we might become a blessing. Or as someone that uh, I listen to a fair bit, Daryl Guder, who is um, one of the world leaders in terms of speaking of Christian mission, He says, salvation happens to some for the sake of all. For the sake of all. So the question, can these bones live? And apocalyptic images, images of unveiling, not firstly cataclysm. Revelation 22 is one of the most beautiful of these images, and it should mean something to you because it's the last chapter of our scripture gives a beautiful picture, but first, I always think of Revelation 5, where all of history is gathered before the throne, and there is to be an unveiling, the opening of scrolls, but nobody can open the scroll. You know the picture, right? It's one of my favorites, because when I see this picture, I, I, my, my love for Jesus Christ uh, is enlivened. It, it helps me to see how much I love Jesus. Nobody can open the scroll, but then the elders... They start saying, behold, there's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John, who's writing these visions down, is taking this all in. All of history is somehow bereft because there's no completion. There's no fulfillment. It's going nowhere. Who's going to open the scroll? Behold, there's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John says, and I turned and I looked. And what does he see when he looks at the lion? I saw a lamb. It's that revelation image that says before the creation of the world the lamb was slain. All of history comes together in Jesus Christ giving his life for the life of the world. And the lamb is worthy to open the scroll. And history has a completion. That's apocalyptic in scripture. There's the wedding supper of the lamb Salvation to relationship and fullness of life. And then Revelation 22. Can I read it for you? Pray to God that you, by the Holy Spirit, would hear these words. This is the end. Not of the sermon, quite yet, but of our scripture. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, 
flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Our salvation is for the good of the world. It's not something we hold up together in a room. We're sent. And if people don't see this life that is in us, then we need at times to take a look at ourselves. I want to end with a poem that I found yesterday. And it moved me to tears. I'm not saying it'll do the same for you. I'm aware that sometimes you're like, why did Todd like that? That's fine. It is this man I spoke about, Daryl Guder, writing on mission, and he was quoting somebody else who quoted this playwright named Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry wrote a play called A Sleep of Prisoners, and that play contained the central metaphor of people who were in a prison that had been destroyed, but the people didn't know that the walls were down and that they could go out. I'm not trying to draw parallels, but they come into my head as I think of it. The people didn't know that they were set free and they were still asleep. It's a picture of great hope that the Christian faith, the answer, can these bones live, is of course yes. The salvation that we know in Jesus Christ is for the good of the world and God just might be calling us to a renewal of mission. We ought not despair. But look at this picture before we turn to communion. Can you see those words? They're pretty small. I'll read them. The human heart can go the lengths of God. Dark and cold we may be, but this is no winter now. The frozen misery of centuries breaks, cracks, begins to move. The thunder is the thunder of the flows, the thaw, the flood, the upstart spring. Thank God our time is now when wrong comes up to face us everywhere, never to leave us till we take the longest stride of soul men ever took. Affairs are now soul size. The enterprise is exploration into God. We have presented the Christian faith so often as if the way to speak to other people is to help them see what is wrong about them and what they are missing. It may be as we understand God's love that we become more and more adept at helping people to see the love of Jesus Christ by seeing what is present in their lives, not absent. Dark and cold we may be, But this is no winter now. The world still longs for salvation that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray, and I'll pray for the communion.
I want you to think about a concept as I pray. I'm not, I'm okay with you not being able to fully answer this question. I want you to ask it before the Holy Spirit in your faith in Jesus Christ. What good is the salvation that you know for the world? Why would anyone be compelled to see hope from your faith? I'll tell you again that in any room, now, of course, many rooms were in there's a number of Christians, but in any room we're in, the Christian ought to be the most hopeful person. Because Jesus Christ is redeeming all things. So, as we pray, ask yourself this question of how your salvation, the salvation that you know in Jesus Christ, would be for the good of the world. How you can come closer to others in this missionary call to witness, not further away. Come, Holy Spirit. So, Lord Jesus, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes as we share this communion because there is no better picture of what it means to be sent into the world for the good of the world than you who gave your body and spilled your blood. As we take this, as we receive, may we know what you have done for us and may we seek to be a blessing in this world. We know, Lord Jesus, that on the night you were betrayed, you took bread and broke it and gave thanks and said, this is my body given for you. In the same way, after supper, that you took the cup and you declared that this cup is the new covenant in your blood, your blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Make this now a holy communion, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.